Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Osiris. Hello, everybody. It's the Helping Friendly Podcast. We all exist in springtime, except Brian. Brian exists in winter still, sadly. This is a new look for you, Brian. I don't think I've ever seen you on the pod in a collared shirt and a sweater. You look sharp. Thank you. I had to work today, and I wanted to channel Seattle for the podcast. Because there's <laughs> a there's a run starting tonight. And uh, not a tour, a run. And I wanted to channel Do we run. really need to go over this again? <laughs> You're right. There I is a run it. starting tonight. I want to note Seattle run of the. There was an tour. interview <laughs> with both Mr. Trey Anastasio and Mr. Paige McConnell, and one of them, I will let yes. you guess, called it a tour, and the other one, I will let you guess, called it a run. So only one of them is right. Agree. That's where we are. Um, I, would, I was going to say actually, and, and shout out to Ari from Sirius XM Fish Radio for getting to talk to Trey. Paige and Mike. Um, if you all haven't heard that, it's going to air again at 7 p.m. Eastern tonight on SiriusXM. And I think that those interviews are now on the app under Fish Radio. So if you're a SiriusXM subscriber, you can check out those interviews. Um, they were really fun. What did you guys, Was were there any takeaways from you all from from listening to those, uh, those interviews that Ari did? I love when Troy was talking about the mountain climber um, as being on his Mount Rushmore of improv Improvisation. He just saw the we. He saw the movie like last yeah. week, and he's like, "This guy's yeah. not my hero." Yeah. yeah, and he's like, "I actually wanted." He's like, oh, "I just was watching like, I just want to do it all over again." Talking about how he wanted to like have like a McDonald's cup he could just use and like live in his truck, sleep on cement. Like, I just it made me remember like how much like we've been arguing a lot about like drive and what the band needs to prove and not prove on a lot of text chains between the four of us. But it just reminded me of how much he like is obsessed with committing to his craft and how that actually like super inspires him and how he would 
wishes he could do it all over again and live in this like van and be this like vagabond rock climber because he was the best. I just thought that said a lot about him. Yeah, I that that hit me. I had two things that really struck me. Paige McConnell talking about how much he loves taking walks in cities that he goes to is just like such an image that I love of like yeah. 11 o'clock on show day. You know, some people are trying to get their goodies for the night all set up. Someone's trying to get a ticket. Someone's trying to sleep off the night before his party. Someone's trying to go out to like the hip brunch spot that they've heard about in the city that they're traveling to for fish. And Paige is just like wandering around the city, just kind of like checking out the sites, no place in mind that he really wants to go. Just like treating tour or runs like he's a traveler in Europe really, uh, really struck me. Um, he also said when asked what he hopes for, for the Mets was wins and a championship, which is such a Mets fan vibe. And I was really, really into that. <laughs> but Paige, or sorry, Trey talking about improvisation and listening. And it's a point that they constantly hammer home. And we are going to be talking about a lot as we move into kind of this improvisationally heavy period in Fish's career of Fish 40 for 40 is that idea that as these guys have evolved, so much of it comes down to them listening to each other and listening to where the other person is at versus where they're at right now. Um, and that's just, that's a fascinating thing to continue to think about as they're evolving, as they're changing, as they're going after this, or if they're going after that, as their goals and priorities change in a variety of ways. I just, I took a lot out of that. You know, I, um, I didn't really think about this when I listened to the page bit, but as I listened to you talk about page walking around these cities, I just wonder if you walk up to him, would he, would he like offer you a Werther's, you know? Um, but also uh, from the page thing, the uh, I took away that he needs to come on the broke down pod and talk about grateful dead with me um, because oh, page yes. is less prone to give interviews. We all know this. Um, maybe he just doesn't want to talk about his work in that way. And I get that. Some people just don't let the work speak for itself. Well, he certainly had plenty to say about the piano players that on his Mount Rushmore. And uh, I'd like to hear him talk about that stuff. And uh, so Paige, open invite to the Broke Down Pod. Don't take the Worthers thing seriously. Well, and now we know where all the Jessica teases come from. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, oh he's course. like, yeah, I've definitely played. I was like, yes, you have. Yeah. <laughs> and and ironically or not, if they there were Jessica teases in this show we're about to talk about. Are we gonna get to talk about it? No, this, this is the show not where we don't talk soon. about the show. Mm-hmm. Um okay, so I first of all, Ari did a great job of improvising around Trey's answers, which I think were totally unexpected, yeah. but, but he went there with him, which I thought was really cool. And I like Mike's perspective on like the, the details of how rehearsal works and how the days work. And, you know, it was just cool to hear that level of detail. I know they, they've gotten a little more open as time's gone on, but um, it's, it's really, I don't know. It's cool. It's fun. Mike um, talking about how uh, the jamming is is open was was revealing as well. I, I thought that was interesting. I'm excited to hear new pedals from Mike. Like Mike has, you know, and he kind of acknowledged that there's been a bit of a uh, synth arms war going on, and mm. uh, and I guess he wants to wade in. So that's pretty rad. Ryan, Ryan Storm, Storm, we'll just leave this up for the duration of the 
of the podcast. Thank you, Ryan. What he is sorry um, for, we never will know, but he is just sorry. No, and he, you know, he meant to we're send just... people here. They just did a recap, and we should say, Ryan, that was a clever way of getting us to mention that you are doing recaps of the current Goose shows the day after, right before this at 3 p.m. Eastern. Um, so thank you for I'm doing that, I'm just shocked Ryan. that that Brian had a podcast that was under an hour. I mean, that is <laughs> impressive. Oh, I mean, oh, here we go. Especially, okay. especially after a quality of show like last night from, from uh, the honkers. That was, I'm that sorry, was the tour else. hasn't started yet. Three <laughs> thirty, <laughs> guys. Okay. Sorry. What podcast? Um, is this? Let me go backwards. Edit, edit this in post. I'm not going to do that, <laughs> but I'm going to clarify what I said before, which is it's not three o'clock. It's three thirty Eastern are the always almost there recaps when goose is on tour. Thank you for doing that, Ryan. It's always fun. And I want to join one soon. Actually, I did one recently and it was fun. They're really fun. Shout really out to fun. Neil. And Neil, Neil has so awesome. great, great taste in music. Super nice guy, too. This is what happens if you, Ryan, just just know this is what happens when you host a podcast. Everyone's going to talk about all the other people who have interesting opinions and perspectives. And Megan's so awesome. And Jonathan's really cool. And Brian's got smart opinions. And then I'm just the one who just organizes shit and brings it together. Um, All right. It's so hard to be you, RJ. I mean, I don't know how you do it. Exactly. I don't. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't want to pick any nits in what you just said because what you just said was really nice, but like you didn't send us the link until five minutes beforehand. So I don't know. Yeah, what the I f- had to remind <laughs> you to send it. I had to be like, I can't believe there's not a one link we can use every day. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. You <laughs> get an IT guy on board. Man, I'm just going to tell you, I go in, I'm like, maybe it's in StreamYard. I'll just look. And I go in and look, and there's 45 almost always there podcast lineups. No HF pod, zero. To be fair, when Brian was when Brian was running HF Pod, there the streamer oh, links were up tight. weeks in advance. Yeah, and um, that's just not how it goes now. But um, all right, so we're going to talk about 1995 today. We're already almost ten minutes in, and we haven't talked about it at all, which is how we how we roll. But 95, um, Brian was in 95. Brian was the age that Ryan Storm is now. He's like ten, right, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, I was, Ryan. I was, I, was te- I was ten and a half you when the show happened. Yeah, so <laughs> Megan was Megan was going to high school dances with. I was eighteen. In- incredible outfits. Okay, you were yeah, Jonathan. This was the first year that Jonathan qualified for AARP, and <laughs> that was a big, a big moment. I Jonathan. Was <laughs> you know, Brad used to always in the old days, Brad would always get some kind of Jonathan is old joke in there. And I don't think they were really were that funny, but it just became an (laughs) ongoing bit that just like had to happen, which I guess is how these things go. But Jonathan, can you, because you guys are noobs doesn't mean I'm old. (laughs) That's true. true. I mean, you know what, you know what makes old jokes not funny? What? What? If you don't get to experience being old, it means that you died. Well, as I often say, when people have a birthday and they complain about it, it beats the alternative. Trey talked about that in the interview. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The next on deck. Next on deck. (laughs) He made made the joke that, yeah, when like a famous person dies, a famous musician, that like they text each other. I understand that. I I feel like my father-in-law, who's 76, he, he talks about this all the time. And it's like. It's so intense, but I guess we, we don't really have time to go into this today. But um, Jonathan, you um, sent us in, in this this group, text chain, 
some music you've been working on. We don't really talk about your music in this podcast, but you make a lot of music. And where where are you with new music? Like, what's going on with you right now, music wise? <laughs> uh well i have a record that'll come out later this year um i don't know if it'll be a record an album that'll come out later this year uh how it will come out is yet to be determined the thing that i sent you is not on the record it is related to it um but uh yeah uh always making more always making more are you are you always writing stuff uh, except when I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great, look at that's a wisdom. That's an answer with wisdom behind it. Thank you. Um, well, where can people find your music if they want to check it out? Uh, I am on Bandcamp. I mean, you can find me on most streaming services that do not rhyme with Spotify. Um, but I am on Bandcamp at jmhart.bandcamp.com or you can search me on Apple Music or title i think and those kinds of things i don't know awesome i like what you do people should check out jonathan's music um i do too okay so 95 was such a huge year and this is like i think for all of us like music highs and lows life for me i was 16 so it was like it was like almost i don't know it feels like too big to discuss like it was the year i saw my first show it was the year jerry died obviously there were like all these things that happened i got my driver's license which is you know up there top three or four things that happened that year but do you guys feel that at all like it's just such a like it feels like a a huge year to approach whereas like 97 is like i feel like we get to 97 it's a little more like things are in a groove sort of, I don't know. 95 just feels like a big year of transition. It almost feels like too much for us to discuss in one podcast, but that's just, that was my thought going into this. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? A lot of stuff went down. I mean, I was seeing grateful dead. I had and fish in 95 and, and then, then I was only seeing one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of a big deal. And, um, you know, and I was in my early 20s. Uh, the world was my oyster. And, uh, yeah, then then shit went down. Like, uh, yeah, this is, 95 is a kind of a big year, and I won't go into all of, you know, my angle on that here. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, just from a fish perspective, as Meg is going to break down for us in her corner here shortly – there's like two sides this year. So there's like a lot to approach from a, a fish standpoint, because when we are discussing what shows to review here and what shows to discuss, um, you got a summer that has its own very unique, distinct sound to it that like every one of those shows is uh, kind of overshadowed by the jamming and the exploration that takes part. And then you have December that really showcases a completely different band in a lot of cases, but as like a year, I mean, I think about it as, you know, I was 10 in 1995, 10 years later, I was 20. I was the same age as, as Jonathan. And I think about that gap between 1995 and 2005 in my brain feels like three lifetimes. But when I think Mm -hmm. back to say from right now to 10 years ago, 2013, it feels like that all happened in like a snap, you know, just like I blinked and I woke up and I've got 
two kids and am nearing 40. But like, I remember all of the stuff that happened and it all seemed like it went by really quickly. 1995 is like when I felt like I was starting to become aware of like, what is, what is culture, what is happening in the world, what's going on outside of my own little bubble. Um, I was getting ready to go into like middle school, which was like that first big transitional point. And as I was looking at like pop culture from this period in time, there's a lot of really quality uh, uh, culture to engage with. And there's this like encroaching shit to engage with and this understanding that um, we're getting towards this period in time. Like 1995 is when like I remember first understanding what the internet was. And it feels as though from a cultural standpoint, we're like taking steps towards whatever is the quickest, most deliverable shit that the most people will enjoy is just like rising above the surface of the quality. Trey actually talks about this during the uh, uh, the really cool interview with Ari today. The idea that like a hit at a, po- at a point in time is everything but like what lasts. And looking back in 1995, you can start to see that like multiply where like what is immediately popular is really not going to last for a long period in time. Yeah, it was really emotional actually listening back to this year and thinking a lot about 1995. Like I was 18, I graduated high school and I was moving out West to go to college because I wanted to see the Grateful Dead out West. That was Oops. like my whole reason I wanted to go to college out West. I, I, and I, was, I, you know, I think I made my... fun of you yeah. on that point and I did just made light of it just now, but I will tell you that I definitely in 94 and 93 and early 95 and I was ma- having conversations about doing the same thing not for college Thank but you. just you know that it seemed like a reasonable thing to do as an east coaster just as like you thought well you know it'd be cool we can go on all the shows up and down the coast without exactly. any concept that driving those three states is a lifetime of driving but I did it all to see fish in the fall, it turns out, because the dead was gone. And I just think that so much happened that year. Like I saw my first outdoor fish show at Deer Creek in 95, which is probably one of the most magical nights of my entire life. It's just a night I'll never forget. Just absolutely pure bliss. It's just one of those nights when like the most incredible things happened all night. And it was just, I felt so free and joyful. And, you know, I was just starting this huge adventure on my own and I felt very I was spending my summers on Grateful Dead tour and I just felt very liberated. And I think when I listened to it back to this show and, you know, we'll get into why I chose this show, but it just has that sense of like freedom and joy. And it just hit me really hard when I was listening to it. Cause this is exactly what 1995 fish is like to me. It's like top of their game. It's like the first peak, right? So it's like, this isn't actually my favorite fish, but this is the first peak that they reach, you know, and, and it's debatable if it's the best music, but it's definitely their first huge peak that they've been working towards all these years that we've been talking about that they've been playing like, you know, seven years of over a hundred shows a year, just like this relentless practice and touring. And this is it, you know, this is what it leads to New Year's Eve, the garden, you know, it's like, it's pretty incredible. I'm excited that we're here. I feel lucky that I was in my freshman year of college in 97, but like listening to what you're saying, I really wish that I had experienced 95 like that. Like I, I drove, you know, I drove to the palace, you know, as a 16 year old to see my first show, but I was not able to make independent decisions as a 16 year old. So you like those two years, you, 
you got you got a lot, which I think is is cool. Yeah, I timed it pretty well. And then I got to see like that instead of seeing the dead, I just did a bunch of the fish fall tour up the West Coast, which was fun. Very different um, from like what fish fall would become. But yeah. we'll talk about that. So, all right, Megan, do you want to go into Meg's corner first, or do you want to talk about why you chose this show first? What do you guys think? Meg's corner. Okay. All right. Let's Meg's do that corner. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> it's 1990. <laughs> it's 1995. They're going to play 82 shows this year. So this is their first year that they're playing. They're playing a smaller tour compared to other years, but they're playing an insane amount of shows. And we know that they have this, they basically play the month of June and a few shows in July. Um, Starts out west, they're gonna do Red Rocks, and then they're gonna go Midwest, Southeast, then they're gonna go back to the Midwest, that's when I'm gonna see them in Deer Creek, then they're gonna finish up in the Northeast, and then they're gonna come back in the fall and do this insanely massive, crazy tour. I mean, they're basically going from coast to coast, 54 shows. I was trying to write down like where they went, and it was just ridiculous. It was all over the place. It was just everywhere. They were everywhere. They played almost every day. I mean, 54 shows straight. Like, it's just crazy. They took a week off after Halloween, but otherwise they played from the end of September all the way through to the New Year's Eve run in December, which is just crazy. Wild. Yeah, it's really wild. So the other big things that are happening are, you know, they've got a live one that comes out in June, which I love the story of how this was like compiled and I love imagining them on fall tour 94, like writing down songs after shows that they want to include and then ending up with this like list of 560 songs. Like this is the most fish fan thing I've ever heard in my life. I was like that the band did that is hilarious to me. And then I love that they like whittle it down and they're at dinner and they all decide together like what songs are going to be on this CD. It's that's so cool. Brian had a list that was twice as long as that. I'm just saying. <laughs> exactly. You got, you got to listen like a to everything. Brian Brinkman list. It is. Um, last but not least, they're going to debut 54 songs. Which Can we just talk about like what band at their peak is debuting 54 new songs a year? The year before, they debuted 60. Like, even I mean, with the covered albums, it doesn't even... It's insane. Yeah, I was going to say, those. even if you take those out, it's still a pretty substantial member but yeah they hit exactly. summer tour they took the spring off and hit summer tour and it was just like flood of new songs so by mm-hmm. the time they got to you know when i got to see them in virginia my friends were like okay well this song sounds kind of like this this song is like this this song is like this here's what you're going to listen for uh and then they played curtain into stash and i forgot everything they told me <laughs> it's one of the things that blows me away because two years later so much of what is going to be defined about 1997 fish are the new songs and how these new songs sound so different than anything that came before and they change the dynamics and the sound of the band i don't know off the top of my head what the number is of new songs in 1997 versus 1995 but the idea that would you say you'll tell me in a couple weeks but like the idea that they they um they debuted 54 you said 54 new songs in 95 like i always think of 1995 in my brain as like the classic year of fish like the classic sound of fish but the idea that like there's new songs that are being unveiled within that overall year that sounds like you put on a fall 1995 show like this show in particular is we're going to talk about and it just sounds in my head of like what i hear fish when i just like have it rattling around in my brain yeah the idea that all these are new songs and as we're going to get into there's a bunch of bust outs in this show that like 
you know, take them back to older periods in time. But like, I don't know, it's it's mind blowing that they would be writing these many songs while also tapping into so much of what made them special from the very start. Incredible. So, okay, Megan, that thank you for that. And what, why this show? Well, you guys know, I really hemmed and hawed over this decision. I mean, it was... <laughs> from here on it was, out, it's going to be hard. So just, It you was know. a really hard process. I felt a lot of pressure. Our two most opinionated, you know, hosts on the show, this is their favorite year of fish. So I felt like I had a lot of responsibility. Um, but I... I thought about the three most important things for me in a show, the vibe, the setless flow and the jams. So this show, so much fun. It's just like joyful freedom. Like I was talking about before, this is just, everybody was young. Everybody was on acid. Everybody was just surrendering to the flow. Like this was a magical time to be a fan. So I really wanted this. I know Ryan's really worried about me. I'm going to be okay, Ryan. I promise. I also, I think flow is super important and this show is a journey. I just there's like a narrative arc to this show that that works so well. And I think that the jams are awesome. Reba Bowie and Am. So what happened was I made a list of all the best shows in 1995, crossed off the undermine shows, and then I was thinking about which <laughs> <laughs> is kind one. of a lot. Like that, that one. one's gone. That one's gone. And then RJ's I was trying to think like, Yeah, exactly. It's like, and then I was trying to think, I felt like, you know, December 95 is like the peak. That's like the best. So I wanted to get close to that without doing that because we did three of them on, on for Undermine. And so then I narrowed it down to like three or four shows. I hired a consultant. He's going to remain nameless. And this consultant and I talked about what I wanted to, why I thought these were the shows that I had. And he helped me narrow it down to two. And then I landed on... 102195 I al- I almost don't think you could have picked a more perfect show for like everything that 1995 encompasses because if you went with June you go with this very extreme jam heavy approach as I we were discussing if you go with December you pick any show and you've forgotten three other shows you yeah. go with this show and you get like that quality set listing, you get flow, you get jams that like don't go super, super deep, but like they yeah. get to that place and then they kind of pull you back and give you another really, really good song. I don't know. It just kind of like embodies a lot of aspects of um, what makes 1995 really special without going to the extremes. Yeah. And I felt like it had some of the things that I remembered seeing when I saw them a lot in September of that year. I saw like the three California shows and the Arizona show. And I felt like the things that made those shows kind of unique and different, like the audience chess match, the um, Aerosmith covers, you know, all the Billy Breeze songs, you can still see some of that in the show. So it still felt like my experience from 95, but with the best, the best. So I'm really glad uh, you guys think it's good. Thank God. <laughs> God. So, all right. Can we talk about the show, or are we ever going to talk about the show, or are we not ready yet? Well, we need Wait, to set just a little bit of context yeah, about context. what is going on yeah. in the world at this time. Um, so, three important categories here. But before we do that, we have some very, very sad news that we have to report about what was going on in the world at this time. Um, I like. I thought you were going to say three things, but you said three categories. 
Which well, movies, music, and TV. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's each category's got to have categories. five or ten items. If you'll ever let me get to it, I can rattle it off quickly. There's just like <laughs> 400 words that need to be said about each movie that I'm talking about. Um, anyway, as I was saying, I'd like everyone in the, in the audience to, uh, you know, quick moment of silence as we remember a great songwriter, a great musician who unfortunately passed away on this day, October 21st. 1995 Shannon Hoon of Blind Melon amazing singer amazing songwriter uh, really great voice for this community in a lot of cases and uh, his music has lived on uh, over the last almost 30 years at this point in time um, which you know says a lot incredible performer too like him live was insane one of those early 90s singer-songwriters that was almost too good for this world, if you will. Yeah. Um, all right. Television. What were we watching on TV at this point in time? Top five shows of October 1995. And, and I just love how we have one show that lasts through every single year here because it's the greatest fucking show on television save for a couple other shows, one of which just had an amazing episode on Sunday. If you guys watch Succession, you know exactly oh what I'm talking God. about. Oh my God, it was amazing. Um, thank you. Uh, number five, Hank Williams Jr. introduced us every single Monday night. And then he became a racist fuckwad, and uh, you know we don't really talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Monday Night Football, number four, Caroline in the City, a show I forgot existed until doing research for this podcast. Who um, started the show? Watching them? Was it someone someone notable? Well, since you wanted to get through this segment, uh, I <laughs> didn't do as much research. You didn't do your deep dive into Caroline. I'm going to dive into it now. Is Leah Thompson played Caroline Duffy um, from Back to the Future? From Back to the Future, yeah. Adventures uh, in Babysitting. Oh, I love that. The show is a 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb uh, for yeah, those who, who rank. Uh, number three, what do you do when you have six friends who live in a overpriced apartment in Manhattan? Hey, that shit was somehow. It was, that's true. But somehow they can do everything. They can always go out. They can hang out. It's amazing. Uh, we have Friends, a show that I refuse to uh, uh, I refuse to acknowledge existed, except I just said it. Uh, number two, Seinfeld. And number one, ER. Mr. John Clooney oh. and Mr. Anthony Goose Edwards. Is that going to just stay there too? Is, is ER just going to like stay at the top? What I think they flip flop for most of the rest of the 90s. Okay. But yeah, we're going to have to find out. Uh, music. Remember when I said that there was some shit in the mid 90s? Just wait for this list, okay? There's nothing redeeming like we got last time. Uh, Michael Jackson, You Are Not Alone. Just like, you know, Pederass is writing songs and being up on the top five of the Billboard charts. Just amazing stuff. Great job, 1990s America, you know? Number four. Seals, Kiss from a Rose. Anybody remember Batman Forever? Val Kilmore is Batman. What a miscast. Oh, yeah. but, you know, I was into it. Number three, Janet Jackson, Runaway. Number two, I actually owned this CD. Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise. My parents were like, <laughs> what the, why are you buying this album? Like, you know nothing about being a gangster. I was like, well, whatever. I'm 10 and I'm hard, guys. Uh, and number one, Mariah Carey, Fantasy. Movies, we got a lot oh, going on the, here. A lot of remix, really, really. I just have to say the remix of Fantasy that with Wu Tang, like that is some shit right there. That's really good. And if you don't know that, look it up. 
the entire reason for the music segment of, of this podcast in mid nineties shows is for Megan's reactions because she knows all these songs, <laughs> uh, movies. Number five, how to make an American quilt. Number four, dead presidents. Number three, Antonio Banderas and Sylvester Stallone in assassins. Number two, fish <laughs> fan himself starred in this movie. Can you guess who I'm talking about? No, no, nobody. Danny DeVito in Get Shorty. And number one, one of the greatest movies ever made with one of the greatest twists at the end of the movie of all time, Seven. Seven. I knew oh, you were going to say I thought you were going to say Usual Suspects. That was, earlier in the, that was earlier in the year. Set of lists, I mean, Brian. That year that that me too. Good. Me too, Glenn. Glenn says I'm going downstairs to make a sandwich. <laughs> me too. Um, thank well, you, Brian. The good news is the context has been set, and now, 30 minutes into this podcast about a single <laughs> fish show in fish history, we can get to this show. The, the, the only so TV show that mattered at that time was The Simpsons mm. and Seinfeld a little bit. But um, yeah, yeah I, I clearly was very tuned out. I worked in a record store at this time, and I don't remember most of those records. I remember Coolio, of course, Seal. They were big. Yeah. Can because I just, people kept selling them back to the store. <laughs> Can I just tell you guys something? Anyone who knows me knows that I'm not very good at movies. Like, I, I haven't seen most movies, but... Brian, you said that there was a movie called How to Make a Quilt. That was the number five movie in America? How to Make an that. American Quilt. I'm going to pull it up. You don't that's remember the big quilting craze of the mid-90s? Everybody it's was made, doing it. It just doesn't sound like a real... No, it's made twenty-four like million dollars, uh, and it looks like it started with Nona Ryder. All right, whatever. Oh, well, she um, was okay, like, I would have seen anything of hers in the mid '90s. I tried to get a haircut like, her once. But, likewise, okay, same, same, yeah. same. <laughs> okay, guys. Um, so Fish also played a show in the '90s, um, in the mid '90s, <laughs> even in 1995, on a Saturday night in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh. and. So that's that's actually what we're here to talk about, believe it or not. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we're not. I, that, that was what I was I was prepped <laughs> for. But um, all right. So there's a there's there's a well. I just want to. Never mind. I'm not going to do that. Okay. <clears throat> we have a. Um, I, well, I, okay, fine. I will. I'll do it. Go there. Um, Where the Nebraska Cornhuskers in 1995. <laughs> were defeated in the national championship and they, they made it all the way. They were, they were defeated by the Florida Gators, but they, this Tommy is Tommy Frazier. I think so. I mean, they were first in the final AP poll as they were in 97 when they split the national championship with Michigan, which is a hilarious thing. If you like Michigan fans being sad, but um, on, on this particular day, they were playing, um, I think they were playing at home. So they there was a there was a football game against Kansas State. So they were ranked. Kansas State was ranked eighth. Nebraska was ranked second. And you know, I don't know. That's like that to me, that's notable to have a a show on a day where there's also a pretty big college football game happening um in it had to be a huge day on campus. Like yeah. there had to be people that went right from that game to this show or tailgated and then came to the show if it was a nighttime game. I'm not sure about that, but like we're like that energy of like a big college football Saturday into this show that had to be such amazing energy. And it was, there was an ass kicking and Nebraska won 49 to 25. And the reason I bring that up is that I think, you know, we hear, we get our first 
ever tweezer reprise opener. It will only happen three more times in fish history so far. Um, but the last tweezer before this show was played four shows before where they also played tweezer reprise. So there's no connection to a previous, you know, un, unfulfilled mm-hmm. tweezer reprise. So I think it was to celebrate the Cornhuskers victory and to just bring the energy out of the gate. So that was my reason for bringing the, uh, bringing up football, which Jonathan, I know you, that was probably that your was favorite part. Excellent so far. context. If it did make me doze off a little and wander. Can I just state, um, I have a connection to this opener myself. It has nothing to do with college football. Come on. Uh, it has everything to do with Tweez Reprise opening a fish show. So as you noted, RJ, it's happened four times in fish history. This show, eleven nine ninety five. they came back after playing Quadrophenia. Not the greatest Halloween cover. That would be the White Album's second half the week earlier or the year earlier. Um, but they second came half. back with the second half of the White Album. Only, <laughs> only the second half. <laughs> Possibly the least good Beatles segment Stop. of all time. Carry on. You don't want, Carry on. You don't want to get us, you don't want to get us Move off along, track Brian. anymore. Um, eleven nine ninety five, And then it was 15 years later. Okay. I was at. Fish show in Hartford, Connecticut, where they played a double Twee Prize encore. One of the greatest things I've ever seen the band do. Trey jumped off of his amplifier. They couldn't even play it. They were just like riveting from the energy. Like he couldn't even play the riff after a while, but everyone was freaking out. There was someone with crutches just like up in the air, like the second <laughs> row. It was so, it was ecstatic. And we left that show and we drove up to Saratoga and I said, they're going to open with Twee's Reprise tomorrow. First time since 11.995. The next day comes... My wife and I are walking in the show. She gets a text from a friend who says, hey, will you wait for us before you go into the concert? We want to go in with you guys. Mm-mm. We wait. No. The answer is no. No. This no. changed my entire approach to seeing fish. No. And for anyone who has ever said I'm too anal going into a fish show, this is the reason why. Now, now okay? you know why. This is now it. Now you know why. We waited for 45 <laughs> minutes while people just streamed past us and you heard like, cheers and eruptions but they didn't come on stage cheers and eruptions but they don't come on stage finally cheers and eruptions and they open up with tweezer of prize and we are no longer friends with that person no longer she was cut out of our life completely eliminated from our entire friend group our entire existence and it completely changed the way that i go to fish shows so anyone who has ever seen me in like the two to six hour range before a fish show now you understand why um the other time it happened was 10, 23, 18, which has one of my favorite second sets of fall 2018. But that's neither here nor there. We were talking about my grievances. I went to Dick's with Brian this past year. I can testify. However, his vibe and intensity on getting into the show on time in a timely fashion matches mine. If you're not early, yeah. you're late. 100% agree. Can't wouldn't you rather just be there? Be, be there. Where else do you Depends. have to be? It's a complicated, it's not that simple, guys. All right. So they, they, fucking simple. They come out with this music reprise. All I can think about during this first set is just like, why are they playing so fast and what's happening here? Chalk dust. I mean, it just, the whole thing is just wild. But this Reba, and you guys feel free to jump in on other, other uh, highlights here, but the Reba, I think, is the first sort of touch point in this set where like the trade gets back to the, you know, vocalizing during the during the jam, yeah. and it's a little more up tempo. It's t- up tempo. It's like a little more of a shuffle kind of thing, and the peak is just wonderful. And fuck, man, this is just awesome. 
it's so pretty. Yeah. I wrote for this. Uh, well, I mean, like the Tweezer Prize goes into Choctaw's Torture because if your heart wasn't racing enough, like, oh my God. Yeah. But yeah, Energy. to your point about the Reba, um, we, we were talking about this uh, in our text thread today. The fact that he takes the Reba jam and starts doing this like staccatoed but melodic guitar riffing over it, where it's like he's playing that bliss part of Reba, but he's like not carrying the notes at all. He's just like a one, one to the other. He's just flying across the fretboard. It's just like it's a complete command for his instrument. It's a com- command for their songwriting. And the whole band is following him. And like you hear, to me, the biggest difference between this and last year for in 94, not in any way a knock on 94, but like you hear the band starting to kind of congeal around some of these ideas that Trey has that are probably really difficult to keep up with while playing really difficult songs at, at their bass level. I don't know that you can entirely blame Trey for the tempo. Yeah, Fishman. Jonathan is really Fishman holds dry. a lot of credit here, yeah. Yeah. and I think that um, that's kind of you know they're all moving together <laughs> in this uh, these directions, um, and you know we were talking as you mentioned on our text thread earlier. I will go there and say that you know. Um, RJ asked, you know, why is fat, why faster and faster is it's a milestone, uh, towards the unachievable better or best, you know, it's just, it's, it's a a point that you pass through as you continue to level up and they collectively are moving through this point and like, okay, we can play. Not only can we play Reba, now we can play Reba really beautifully. Now we can play Reba really beautifully, but really fucking fast. And then, you know, later you get to, now we'll just play it less is more and we'll play. Okay. Now we'll just never finish it. And you know, Oh, we don't ever need to whistle again. And you know, all of these things and, uh, Oh, whistling's back. Uh, but you know, so they're, they're moving through these stages and I think it's a pretty good version um, it's not, uh, doesn't transform me, but I really, I thought this was a solid version. Yeah. It's, it's delicate, pretty. And then it builds with his confidence and it's just Trey's tone in 95. He just sounds so effortless. Like it sounds like everything's so easy for him when he's doing it, it has like the perfect 95 peak. And I think like going into a Wilson, like a 94, 95 Wilson is like a giant Tyrannosaurus Rex that just like destroys everything in its path. Like Trey is just like a beast. He's just total rock god. And I think this first set is like so perfectly crafted because it doesn't really make sense. Like Wilson, cars, trucks, buses, Kong. Like that doesn't make sense. Yes, it, it does. Perfect. It's, it's so good. <laughs> and even this cars, trucks, buses like has a little mustard on it. Like when I heard it a lot in September, it was the first time they were playing it. And it was it was clunkier, and this is like they've really got it down. It's got like a little extra mustard on it. it sounds like so much more confident and well defined. And I love how like there's like this jazzy number, and then Kong just like erupts out of it. It's so weird and so funny, and four minutes of just perfectness. And I can't believe I still haven't heard this song. It's just pisses me off, especially since I saw them like in a time when this was kind of in the rotation. You know, I right. should have wow. I should have seen it, and I've never seen it. Love it so much. And I did this. This was the first thing I played more than once on this show after I had listened Mm. to the whole thing. I went back to Cars, Trucks, Buses, and then Kung. And then Strange Design, which I also really like. Kung is great and rad and weird and fucking weird. And we'll talk about why Fish is weird maybe in a minute. But uh, Strange Design kind of properly follows that um, because that's after Lizards. Is, yeah. And Mm. is. 
but they, they kind of, they go together. Kung flows into lizards. Kung is not a, it's barely a thing in and of itself, right? Mm -hmm. It's a chant and they invoke and they oh, slip us into game henge with Kung here lizards. And then we come down a little with strange design acoustic army and then rock the fuck out again to just to recapture oh that energy going into set break. Perfect. Perfect. So good. Acoustic army too. Like I love this so, cool. so much. I love fish on acoustic. My first show in 94, they played like an acoustic mini set. Red Rocks 96, I saw one. I like love when they play acoustic <laughs> instruments and I just really want them to like bring this back. And this song's crazy. They played it 27 times from June to December in 95 and then never again. I will say we're lucky on, on this recording. Um, most audience recordings from fall 95, the acoustic army is just like, you can't really hear it. Can't hear it. Right. Like, no. You know, they, it's a lot when, of shushing. Yeah. yeah. This well, is live fish <laughs> archival release. So we're lucky to be able to actually hear it because you know, like as papers it, are trying to like turn it up and then it's like, Oh shit. Like, you know, like, it's a taper. Really you've got your level set for the loud tweezer reprise at yeah. the beginning of the set. And you're yeah. like, okay, peaking here this is perfect and then they come out and they start playing something really quiet and you want to pump up your levels and then some guy 10 seats over starts shouting and it just blasts your mics and your deck and so you got to dial it back down again it's, it's very difficult on a taper to play with these kind of broad dynamics but it's fucking great mm -hmm. as a band to get away with it kong, i just want to um, say uh, so, good i just want to say something about kong when you're done brian i'm gonna raise i just want to Raise your hand and keep holding it. Um, I just want to say, you noted this, Megan, like none of this seems to make sense. Like Reba into Wilson, into a jazz song, into Kung, into Gamehenge. And then you get these like, you know, breathers that I think structurally make sense. This is, I don't know where I'd like put it in an overall list, but this is one of my favorite first sets of all time. Because even where like the actual, like this song kind of throws my head off in terms of like, what's going on here in the overall structure of the show, I love it. And I so love good. the variety we get. And it feels like when I put this set on, it feels like fish in 1995 and everything that the band was chasing in 1995. Um, RJ, what were you going to say about Kong before well, I so rudely First of all, you? you were just, no, you were, you were being perfectly kind um as as the 3.0 people would I say it's a very it's a very songy set you know it's a lot of songs here so you know if you're uh if you're someone who uh gets pissed about them playing songs you might not be happy but it's a, <laughs> it's a good set so kung was played only 39 times i mean so far probably tonight in seattle but um <laughs> 18% of those seven, seven out of 39 came in 95, which I think is like mm -hmm. for one year of fish history, kind of a lot. I feel like that in this period, it kind of peaked. And I don't know if it was because we were like past the secret language. We were past the big ball jam. It just, it felt like a, when, you know, it was sort of like another secret language sort of thing when they did it. It is wild because this is the 18th version that we're talking about here, all time that they've yeah. ever played. And they've only played to this point in time 21 since. So like we're kind of at the halfway point of what this song is. It becomes a rarity at this point in time. Yeah. Where it's like if they play Kong, it's kind of a special nod to like the vibe of the show, to what they're feeling, either like a New Year's show, 20th anniversary, or it's like a 725.03, or it's like an 812.2010, where like there's just something special in the air at that show. I'm curious, do you guys have a favorite version of Kung? Because it's like, it's a chameleon song. It like becomes anything different anytime. What is it, Jonathan? Hampton 95. 
Oh, that's um, a good one. About mm. a month after this or so, and it's it's a good one. But I, I kind of like them all, and you're right. I it's know. a chameleon. It kind of takes on like the form of whatever yeah. else is going on. So like catapult, but even more so like yeah. catapult than catapult. Because catapult, like to tease our, our friends at fish.net, catapult has music. It has actually a melody and it has, you know, a strict, it has not strict, but it has a structure that sometimes they defy. And uh, Kung barely has that. It is a chant. It is. It, and that's it. It's, it's a chant and it's like to beckon us into game henge. And mm-hmm. it's, there's like a, some, there's a spiritual aspect to it. Whereas catapult is this, kind of nonsensical little poem that I love this story of from Mike. And you're right. There's music to it that like, it then morphs. Um, I was, I was at eight twelve twenty ten when they encored with it out of fee because they had played fee with the meg with the, um, mm. what the megaphone? hell is the thing that the megaphone? Is that what those things are called? Is that what Thank it's called? you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. Okay. That, that or thing if you're that, like in, amplifies in his this? voice, you know, this thing, this thing for all you listening <laughs> to the podcast. <laughs> um, it's this and thing. Trey starts, Trey starts like circling around his arms. Like he's Pete Townsend with a megaphone and they go into Kung at that point in time. And it just like the whole venue just erupted and went crazy. But Incredible Perp has a great question here. Kung versus Catapult at a show. Ooh. Do you have a pick of what you would prefer to hear? Yes. I want both in the same show. Dueling. Has I that think I might happened? say Catapult. I don't think so. Uh, yeah. At 11, six, uh, 11, 16, 96, they played Vibration Omaha. of Life into Kung into Catapult. Just down the road. What? One year no later, way. just down the road. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Roger. Oh, my Ama- God. I love an amazing uh, runaway gym. Yeah. That was that was killer. Nebraska's, the Nebraska-themed fish. and Don't miss a Nebraska show. This is connected to next week's episode. 11, 16, 1996 mm. was my backup choice from the 96 show. Uh-huh. So it's, oh. it's not going to happen, but it was my backup choice. Um, I've never seen Kung, so. Oh, I'm sorry. Kind of, it's a little fucked, but. Um, it's okay. You've seen every single backwards down the number line. Is, <laughs> there is, um, I should say when, when Fish did the live release of this, the archival release, there was an essay from Kevin Shapiro that was released alongside it. And every link that I've tried to click on to get to that um, <laughs> essay is dead. It work. doesn't work. So. And maybe I'll actually I'll email him and see if he'll see if he has it. And if he has it, I'll try to post it because I think it's important. Yeah, um, you can put it in the show notes. Can right. we as I feel like we're edging into set break. Uh, can we take a moment to talk about um, a couple other points of this release? If you try to listen to it on live fish, you will not hear the uh, dog log sound check jam, which is amazing and really not to be list missed. You'll have to find it elsewhere. And here's where you can find it, Apple Music, where you can, but where you can also find the uh, Purple Rain, I believe. So maybe it's the other Purple, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's all fucked up. So like, go seek it. For some reason, it's not all on Live Fish, um, which is lame. Or just listen to the odds. But good luck during Acoustic Army. Let's just say before we go into the break that the Good Times, Bad Times into Tweezer Reprise is some just great shredding. Oh. Great shredding. 
That's all. I don't think that would be any better way to end a first set, like ever. Yeah. Plus, before they play Good Times, Bad Times, Trey does an incredible tease of black or white, which I'm not endorsing, but at the time, Wait, the band it, right? Beat It comes later. Black yeah, or White is before, before oh. Good Times, Bad Times. Um, because at this point in time, there were a ton of rumors that the band was going to uh, play Thriller for Halloween. And so there were all these Michael Jackson teases that came through. And we'll talk about it towards towards the uh, um, towards the end of the show as well, because they do it again. They do, they do Beat It teases later. I think with that, we will take a quick break and be back in a second. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Jonathan, you are... Are we back? We're back. We're back. (laughs) See, it doesn't take long. Um, Okay, so we got a second set to to talk about here. We have... I I mean, I don't know. Where do you guys guys want to start? The 2001... Go ahead, Jonathan. Brian, we should start with... Yeah, we should start with the chess move. So 1995, uh, Megan mentioned it earlier, the fall tour, the band played chess with the audience. They hung a big chess board behind the stage and at set break, the audience got to make their move. And mm-hmm. on this show, uh, my friend, Brian's friend, friend of the pod, Brian Whitley was one of the guys who made the move. Um, and so he, uh, I asked him about it. I was like, this was you. And he said, yeah. And I was like, please, can you give us some context of what it was like to be person who makes the move and so uh he sent me a long text that i'm going to kind of paraphrase a little bit um he was you know living in nebraska and omaha at the time did you know and he did six shows in seven days starting in kc on 1019 finishing st paul on 1025 at um in cedar rapids the night before lincoln he noticed people gathering around the greenpeace table talking about the audience move and once the move was decided Somebody, and this is how it worked every night, just saying, you know, the, uh, somebody at the table said, okay, who wants to make the move? And Brian was one of the guys who raised their hand, one of the few people, as he says, that raised their hand. They asked him where he's from. He said, Omaha. They said, well, come back the next night in Lincoln because they prefer to pick somebody local, which they did that night. And so he did return the next night. And somehow his friend Megan kind of finagled her way into being able to go up with him. And so that's what went down and you hear hear it on the recording they go up and they make the move he says i I, i'll never forget being on stage prior to the move and looking out at everybody from that vantage point what a trip and then we met each band member and shook hands with them while exiting stage left and i thanked each of them for everything and i distinctly remember fishman saying no thank you and so that's brian's story of what it's like to make the chess move and um does anybody offhand remember the score at the end of the tour audience one band one there we are 
trying to say it as much as the announcer said. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it sounded good. The end of 1995. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so we got 2001 in a David Bowie. So oh, Brian yes, in the chat. Geez. Shout out. What up, Brian? Hey, Brian. Yay. Good work. It's so awesome to hear that. Good work. Really cool. They should do that. They should do something like that again. I think they should do it again. That was really good. I fun. think they should. Maybe it's it was too, fun when they did during COVID against us on uh, New Year's Eve yeah. 2020. That was the craziest yeah, thing. When Fishman like shaved his head and stuff. Like that was <laughs> Remember that? It was so weird. I remember like my family walked in the room and I was watching that and they're like, what the fuck are you watching? Like, what are you doing? I don't know. It's like hard Your to Your family explain. walks in the room during those things? Mine's mm-hmm. like, we'll be elsewhere. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. see you later. Um, okay. So we have a perfunctory four, four minute, 2001, almost five minute. And then there's a there's a pretty um, a pretty wild David Bowie as they tended to be in this time period. Um, Jonathan, what's your what's your take on this David Bowie? I think it's a solid solid Bowie. Now at this point, I had seen a few uh, saw like I saw the Deer Creek one that Megan saw, and uh, and maybe That's one fun. in back in the. New Year's run previous and the, so I'd, I'd been exposed to a few pretty serious David Bowie's and they were um, not all peaking out as hard at this point but some were still doing it and this one is this one's pretty good it doesn't go super deep I think that's the key thing to remember going into this if you haven't listened to it lately and you want to um, it is not a you know epic exploration what it is is a really a classic high level performance kind of David Bowie where they keep it tight. Um, they get weird, especially on the ends, you know, as they keep jamming back in and out of the theme on the end and just like, and this is one of my favorite things. And I really want this from modern fish is that, you know, as they return to theme and they play the fast riff and then they hit the beat where they could either finish it or not, they space out nicely, hang on different ideas. And uh, they do that very effectively and um and you know i i want to say that these guys were playing such high level psychedelic music right they did it we talked we didn't really talk about it but you know if you look at what we're talking about from the first set and the highlights of the first set and you listen to this and you listen to what's to come in this set um they are play i mean look fall 95 it it's not a thing that was um, okay. Uh, it was not a thing that was uh, only happened then, but in fall 95, there was a lot of LSD going around fish tour. It a continued lot. for years, but there was a lot. And I feel like the band it was really good too. Yeah, it was, it was um, reflecting that energy mm-hmm. from the stage. I'm not saying they were doing it. I'm saying they were vibing properly and reflecting that energy back to us as they would a couple of years later, as things got a little into moved into different directions, chemically in the audience, the band reflected that appropriately. And it's impressive. I know they were in touch. I know they talked to people. I knew they knew what was going on. It's just remarkable to hear how well they stepped up to the plate for it like oh our whole our audience is heavily psychedelicized try this and they 
yeah, they deliver. And this is a good example of it. Again, not the deepest, but definitely great. Yeah, I had like three notes that are aligned with kind of what you're saying. My, my first, as I was listening to this, my first note was where in which Bowie is just 16 minutes, but still blows your mind. And that just mm-hmm. is in quotations because sometimes we don't reach even that uh, these days. But like the band at this point in time was playing... 25 to 30 minute long versions of David Bowie throughout all of June. And Mm -hmm. this kind of feels like the transition from summer to December where you take a song like David Bowie that is used to going so far out there and then figuring its way back at home. You talk about that uh, Deer Creek version that like goes so, so far and they still know how to go back into the riff. Um, But by December, they're going to play all of that contained in 16 to 18 minutes where you're going to go on these big, big journeys and they're going to go on these little diversions and digressions. And those diversions and digressions are going to like, as you're listening back years and years later, they're going to shape the way that like this version holds up in your head and it's going to like send your head down different rabbit holes and then it's going to come back to home. That transition of still exploring while being incredibly tight is so fascinating to hear almost in real time. The other thing, Trey's tremolo throughout this show, like when they're coming into the end of David Bowie and he just like hits the chord and you just hear it. It's like almost like he's running too fast in a cartoon and he stops on his heels and just like skids almost like the road runner. Just like, well, I mean, he was <laughs> actively using a Leslie on stage and he uses a lot at this time period. It was, it was very evident and listening to the live fish recordings, it's very clear um, more so than you might get on an audience tape. It comes through beautifully. Oh, it's so, so clear. Yeah. This and a month later with the stash and a month later from that with the uh, live fish, a one show, like you just hear how quick they're able to adjust. It's, um, they sound the way that like a, a basketball player who can just make quick turns into the lane sounds musically. It's just, it's fascinating. Amazing Bowie, even like compared to what we heard around that, that, that song throughout the year. Yeah, this Bowie, I texted you guys when I was listening to it. I felt like I was 18 again. Like, it's how I used to feel when I went to fish shows in 95, where you just can completely lose your mind and you have this whole entire adventure inside your head. And that's how I used to feel when I would see fish in 95. Like, at the end of the show, you'd be like, what the fuck just happened? Because this Bowie is exactly like that. They just creep into the jam. Fishman is incredible. It's like super eerie. And Trey's not pushing. He's like, bending and twisting and it just kind of builds up into this huge frenzy that's only like a 95 frenzy you know that's the only time they make this intense of a build and then the droning into the riff and there's like this time warp feeling and it is it's like perfect for acid it's it sounds like there's this like giant alien creatures like emerging from the mud and then it turns out that this creature is like scary looking but really like he just wants to get down and he can be like soothed by rock and roll you know, and then there's that like ecstasy feeling of after you've been like really, really scared, but you know it was nothing. So that like joy and like relief. And then they're like playing with all these like space noises. And just to like remind you that like you were just scared, there's like a little bit of like trippy, like weird noises that come out. It reminds you like you just had like a really big scare. Like that's this Bowie, like it brought me back. I fucking love it. I would just like to um, read something. Just a disclaimer, this podcast does not provide medical advice. 
The information contained in this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. No material in this podcast is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking anything. Thank you. Very good point, RJ. I, I want to yeah. reply Sorry. or kind of build on something Brian was saying because I know I talk a lot about nowadays wanting fish to you know bring back bowie and stuff like that but i i want to make clear that i'm not asking for them to do what they did here in any way i don't want a 95 bowie what i want is 2023 whatever contemporary fish with all of their contemporary sounds to reinterpret a bowie like this if that does that make sense yeah. like i 100%. want like yeah. i want to hear what that break between the riffs sounds like with these guys that we, you know, yeah. that are playing tonight in Seattle. It's kind of the, really? the interesting, like we were talking about this last week with tweezer of how many of the longest tweezers that have been played have been played post 1995. There's so many late 3.0 versions. None of those versions sound like the Bozeman tweezer, but they're in that spirit of it. And for whatever reason, David Bowie, has just become David Bowie. And it's always great when you hear that hi-hat. It's always great to hear it. RJ saw the best version he's ever seen last summer, as he noted on Twitter, um, which was probably better than this version and probably, probably even better though. than the Providence version, you know? Um, <laughs> I didn't see either of those. That's the yeah, whole point. That was the thing that was confusing to people. Giving you shit. But my point is David Bowie, for whatever reason, has not followed that trajectory of like a song like tweezer where these two songs were so aligned during this period in time. And I think to your point, Jonathan, it would be fascinating to hear when they go off, you know, they hit that chord and they're in that kind of darkness and whatever it may be, that melodic jamming that is so prevalent throughout uh 3.0, 4.0 fish, um, kind of the jamming that you hear in like that shoreline soul planet, that being in the middle of David Bowie before they go back would be mm. really, really interesting to hear what happens. Um, I don't know if we're ever going to get there, but it, what is fascinating is the band you have heard for the last three or four years, the band is kind of poking at the edges of what is possible within Bowie and they're trying to figure out a way out. My interpretation is that it's really fucking hard to get back into David Bowie and that they want to nail that ending and that that is part right. of the mm. potential prevention. So you, you, this, this is, this is a great long detour and I, about one of my favorite topics. So uh, you mentioned the, you know, they've been able to do it with tweezer and tweet, but tweezer and David Bowie are very different. Songs. Tweezer doesn't need to end. Tw tweezer doesn't need to end. Yeah. And David Bowie is harder to play. It's just yeah. a more complicated song to swing the band around, back around to totally. finish with precision, as demonstrated by a good chunk of 3.0, where they were not able to really land it well and without even big jams. And and I know they know it. And, you know, I look forward, at, not even look forward, I'm glad that we are in a point where they're doing that. They're landing it these days. The most recent ones have been pretty good. Mm -hmm. And so maybe maybe they feel like they're ready. I respect the effort. I look forward to the, the next one. This is great. I think there's, a, there's a lot to do with Bowie as a thematic song. 
and um, the world's fight against climate change, which is why in Climate Pledge Arena, the band should play a 25-minute David Bowie. That's my there argument. There we go. There we go. Do it because it's Andy's birthday, and Andy's there. Andy being one of my best friends. Shout out, bro. That's All it. right. Well, Andy, good luck getting a David Bowie. Um, I like listening to what you guys were saying. I just want to show this picture. I just, I just put oh this my together. God. Rock God. I think this is Corn Husker Red. I don't think this is a, a shirt that Trey traveled with. I think something, someone gave him a red shirt that's, that happens to be the same color as the Corn Huskers who were victorious earlier that day. And, I wonder what uh, her name was. Yeah, he looks kind of ripped. I have to he say, I've never really—he looks ripped. Like I kind of like short that it, <laughs> Two things: like the, short the hair. Quick, quick behind the scenes insight. When we, when we, when we all came together as as HF Pod Live back uh, about a year ago, we started a, a text thread. This is the picture that adorns <laughs> our text thread. Every time I get a notification that one of you has texted me, it's this picture of Trey. And number two. I would do anything to be as skilled at anything in my life at tr- as Trey's as guitar to have the confidence to wear that shirt on stage <laughs> before I perform a concert in front of thousands of people. It's kind of a Bruce vibe. Totally it's very, yeah. Bruce I don't know why I didn't yeah. cover Born in the USA that night. It's very, it's have. very, it's a very Bruce vibe. Okay. So guys, that was awesome. That was a great diversion on Bowie as, as Bowie should be. Um, and RJ, they, they land in life boy. Yes. That's what I'm uh, saying. Ever that's what I'm best. saying. So I think this is my, this is my favorite place to land. And I think I've shared this, um, anecdote on this show, but I got to talk to Trey in early 2022 about a bunch of random stuff. And we were talking about lonely trip. And I said, like, I think lonely trip is like the, the new version of life boy, like in terms Mm -hmm. of a landing place after a really intense jam. And I mentioned life boy as the perfect, you know, place to land. And I think this is like a great example of, of that. And I, I don't think my, um, I don't think my conversation really, I don't, I don't think it really helped because they haven't really done it that much. I, they did it. They you did, don't think they you did, gave them any ideas that you didn't already yeah. have. Yeah. They did it at Jones beach and they, they had a golden age yeah. and then into life boy. So, you know, maybe, but I, I'm just saying they should keep doing that. But Charlotte too, man, this that song is happy. like, yeah, I don't know. The song is like too, it's like, it's, it's so good. It's so, it's just, great and i think it's the perfect i think it's the perfect song after a big jam and i only mention all of this so that hopefully it happens more often but just what a song and maybe maybe this is like the peak of life boy too just in terms of the pages piano and oh my just god it's just it's that very interplay well was done. so good so gorgeous page is so delicate and beautiful it's beautiful and i just that, wanted to do is Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I just noted it was amazing. Like this is an era where you don't really think of the balance as being a huge part of fish sets. And they're very much being introduced to fish at this point in time. We've got like four or five ballads that are t- kind of sprinkled around throughout their shows before Billy breathes is recorded. And like that becomes much more of like a, a, a an option for fish set listing. But like the band plays this so delicately to your point, RJ. And it's such a contrast to David Bowie. It's just, it's incredible. Right. And then after that, the highlight of the set is Sparkle. Um, Always. 
<laughs> and <laughs> so which is much. what you go for when you go to see fish at this point in the 90s like this is some like ripping fish grass nonsense and it is hilarious and awesome and if you actually listen to the words it's fucking heavy yeah, yeah. it's totally what um, your life is like when you're 18 like it's it's high school it's, it's about college. stepping out and taking a chance and just falling apart and uh, so and it's just insane, and they play it at insane velocities. See earlier comments about playing fast. Yeah. Well, I think this this always reminds me of like how Trey would take Tom's lyrics and take you know definitely <laughs> intense, heavy, somewhat sad lyrics and turn it into sparkle. Yeah. In a way that so just good. you know, if you give that those lyrics to ten songwriters, only Trey would come out with with this. You know, it's just yeah. I think it's really interesting that the juxtaposition there. Um, this you enjoy myself, Purple Rain, hold your head up. Great, very ninety five there. Um, Outstanding. Does anyone, this okay, is like the, a uh, really uh, really sick. Yeah. You enjoy, yeah. Go ahead. You, Jonathan, you enjoy myself as killer. I'll I'll be brief. You enjoy myself as killer, and then the vocal jam segging into Purple Rain is. I mean, God, you as RJ said, it's so very ninety five. It's so perfect. I love Fishman singing Purple Rain. Got it at my first show, uh, and I I'm always here for it. I just want to note. I found this fascinating. Purple Rain has been played 32 times total. 30 of those times were between 1993 and 1996. And since then, second greatest fish show of all time, which Mr. Kevin Shapiro, if you're listening, you should release for a variety of reasons, but also because it was the next time that they played Purple Rain, 725.99. The other version, 7-4-2012 from Jones B. It's important to note that 725-1999 should be officially released at this point in time. If not, to just shut me up. Yeah, shut to shut him up is a that's it's a true. good trick. And it would be interesting to see if Kevin Shapiro could be the one to do it's it. It's not gonna work, um, but it's a good attempt. But, <laughs> it's a good attempt. But what suspicious minds kind of supplanted it on this tour, right? You did. After this yeah, by the end yeah. of it, yeah. Yeah, because it was like With he was cape. doing all the Aerosmith stuff in the in the beginning. Like he was playing like all that kind of I think stuff. They, Although, I think they only did that like one time right at the beginning crying. of the tour. They yeah, did crying, which I saw, and then yeah, they did Suspicious Minds at Shoreline. Like too. Aerosmith. Yeah, yeah, they did that like like yeah. one time I think, and, and like Megan saw it, and that's pretty awesome. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, then then it was Elvis for the rest of the rest of the tour, just about. So okay, this Harry Hood to me. Even the the delicate playing in the hood is so fast. And it's not like I'm here to say that this is the best way to play hood. Because I like I like them. I like taking it slow with hood. But it's just crazy that when it's like the chill part of the jam that it's still like, it's just, it's so everything in this show. Like the whole time I'm listening to this, I'm just like, well, how are they? How and why are they playing like so everything's so fast and even like the, you know, which what's like the the most contemplative part of the whole show is still like it's really fast and really um, it just this whole show just never slows down. And this I think this hood jam is like part of that. This is how Trey's brain operates, I think, is at this speed, Um, Mm -hmm. even when he you know, shuts it off and lets his fingers do the work. You know, that's just how fast 
he moved at this point. It, and I love it. It kind of made me think listening to this of like that, the differences we were talking about between 1994 and 1995, where they're incredibly tight. They're incredibly on point. They're very creative. They're willing to go down diversions. But like you think about the Harry Hood that was just released on Live 820 from 7194. That's so Holy lush. Um, it's like, it's this full. Um, like transitions are all like carried from one to another. And this is that staccato staccato approach. I think always um, with this stash or excuse me, with this Reba, with this Harry hood, I think of the stash from Orlando 95, just a month later where Trey is playing the riff to stash, but he's playing it in staccato and he's playing it super, super fast. And he's playing in a way where he's almost just like, look, I can chop up the melody. I don't have to connect these notes in any sort of way. And it still holds together. And you get that in this Harry Hood, even in the quiet section. Um, there's also like towards the end of it, and such a note on what made 1995 so special, Trey would play these riffs. And immediately Fishman mimics the riffs from a beat standpoint and Paige mimics it on piano. It was what you were talking about last week, Meg, in terms of uh, like the um, hay hole jamming and like, um, you know, hear your own hay or whatever, whatever it's called. Like the idea that like I play something, you respond to it. It's that yes and Mm -hmm. jamming and you hear them just leaning on this, not as a crutch, but as almost like a we can still do this and we can do this faster and we can do this, you know, in, in this style where it's melodic, but then we can also do it in a way that is uh, kind of noisy and kind of weird. And you hear that throughout this entire Harry hood and it's still just like a beautiful version of hood. It's, it's amazing. Plus it uh, has a Bowie, a Yem I know. and a hood in it. Like, come on. I like forgot about that. I was listening to this Yem and I was like cooking dinner and I was like browning butter. I was making like, Udon noodles with brown butter and I was like browning it and I totally burnt it because I was just like dancing because it was like so funky and I wasn't expecting it and then it turns into this crazy vocal jam that's like so you know guttural and like I don't know it sounds like it's like in the rainforest it's crazy I don't like vocal jams but this one is pretty fucking cool actually and then they started hood and I had forgot and I was like what is happening like if you were in this audience you were just losing your mind it was so good it's because you were listening to the live fish version which omits the purple rain which is again criminal I had to go back and listen to that yeah yeah but um, for anyone affiliated with fish we're not saying that you're a criminal we're no no I that, think that we it's, you know we prefer to have purple rain on here we would like the purple rain and the dog log that was on the CDs only. The dog log. The is dog on logs on fish. on live yeah. fish. It's just it it's it's, it's, it's below. after. It's after. I will just say, as I'm looking through my notes here, Harry Hood is preceded by Billy Jean teases. Yep. And then there's mm. Beat It teases in Susie Greenberg. So you get Beat It, oh. Billy Jean, and Black and White throughout this show, which I'm not condoning i'm not celebrating i'm simply saying it had to be amazing to be a fish fan at this point in time with this lead up to the second halloween album where the band is dropping hints after playing the greatest side b to album a year prior they decide to drop all these hints of what are we going to do maybe we're going to play thriller maybe we're going to play off the wall we don't know but we're just going to throw out these little droplets to you all so that the community can talk about this. And that like that more than anything. I mean, I, re- I remember years later, 2009 in the league festival, there's this like three week in time where the 
is alive with chatter around where is fish going to play this festival and then later mm. they like created a website over what album are we going to play and they killed off albums each day like the way that this band transfixes all of us around the what if and what are yes. they going to do is like the most brilliant marketing that you could ever imagine it drives you absolutely insane in the best way possible it's genius so okay Guys, we have taken up a lot of time. It's Friday afternoon. Fish is about to come on stage. I mean, no, not they're really, not. But, they're they're in the but, West Coast. It's know, like ten hours before showtime. I'll be in bed, deep asleep. I'll be in bed before fish. Be I have yeah, two more notes about this show. If that's okay, okay. I just want to respond to the comment asking I have if two. Highway to Hell is on live fish, and it is. It is. Yeah, so I just kind of screenshot to my colleagues, and there is no dog log. On the other tab here, actually, it's over there. When on livefishplus.livefish.com, it's just not. It's on my up. phone. Phone. You listen to me. I don't listen to music from my phone in my house. So just straight to my. So, studio. two final closing notes about this show, just from a st- and noteworthy standpoint. Okay, because these are both noteworthy. Don't tell me I, I have. June, okay. Wrap it up. One is high, highway help encore. This is played 77 times total. It becomes a rarity around this point in time from 10189 to 112294, like a nine to 10 show rotation. You get a chance to see it if you're seeing the band, the regularity that most people were doing at that time. From 625.95 to 226.97, run like a 20 to 40 show uh, uh, gap. So we're right around the time where it's becoming a rarity. Since twice, 325 shows to 2009 which was the Bonnaroo late night set, and then eight shows to 8-16-2009. Nonsense. Not a single Highway to Hell since. I think that that's a cover that we need to hear at least once more yes. before this is all over. Bring it back. Finally, you guys have mentioned this dog log. For anyone out there listening who has listened to an hour and 20 minutes of us talking about a fish show for 20 minutes of it, I cannot encourage you enough to go back and listen to this dog log. This, to me, I second this. You get, you second this. Everybody should second this. My favorite part of this: you have this feedback section mixed with his baby grand, staccato drums, and like this just beautiful bulbous bass from Mike Gordon, and it's prelude to 1997. You are hearing mm-hmm. the inception yes. of what this band is going to do on stage. Before they go on stage, there's these watery tones from Trey. For another year and a half, we're not going to hear any of this type of experimentation. So you hear the band starting to figure out what is the next. Doing it behind the scenes, they're doing it not in front of a paying audience. But to hear this, big time shout out to Mike Lawn Memo, uh, Lawn Memo Minio. I completely yeah, Mike Minio. Sorry, Mike. Mike Minio, who hosted the Daily Soundcheck. A number of years, amazing podcast that tracked all of Fish's available soundtracks or sound checks through the year. So as where you start to hear like what is the band doing behind the scenes that is going to lead to breakthroughs on stage? And it's just totally worth time. I mean, this yeah, is like um, funky and sultry and it's effortless. The the beat that they get into is just heaven. It's just pure heaven. Just like and then they get into like a trippy space jam. Every minute of this jam is interesting. I loved it. It's true. There's um, 
a recent interview. It's not the new one, but the like a week ago, two weeks ago, uh, Trey did uh, a sit down, like a video thing with Ari for Sirius, and he taught and where Ari's playing him recordings, and he has to guess where it was and such. And and Trey talks about how uh, for you know at soundcheck he builds these jams, these layers and loops and things for just for the crew and for everybody and people, and and that it found its way into his uh live performance and this is a, mm. I, that's what i was thinking of as i listened to this because there's this part where trey's built up this very elaborate sort of tone and combination of effects and whatnot that is just not despite all of the weirdness they were doing in 95 it's not what they were doing on stage in 95 and brian i think you nailed it just as saying this is really just it's foreshadowing uh mm-hmm. what would come it's great. It's so it's worth so everybody's good. time. If you listen to it on a phone or Apple Music has it, though, you can listen to that on your computer. Um, well, thank you, guys. That's all. Thank, thank you. You should note our listeners that we'll not be doing 1996 oh, yeah. next week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that year's right out. Next Thursday at 4.30... We're going to do a recap of the shows on Spring Tour so far. And then we're going to do another one the following Monday, the 24th. And then the following week, we'll be back with 1996. So we have some time to listen to these 96 shows, but we're probably going to listen to some 2023 shows first. So, guys, anything else? We've got a lot of music. Yeah. Tour, Tour opener call for tonight. I'm going to post this episode before the tour starts. So it's going to happen. What do you guys got? That's this is the last thing, and then we're gonna let everybody get to their weekend. What do you got? I'm gonna go thematically. David Bowie. Mm. Wow. wow. Buried alive. Good. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh. No, the pro- uh, uh, RJ, please say tweezer reprise because I'm surprised none of us has yet. <laughs> yeah. No, you make your own pick, of course. Soul Planet. Mm. Fair. A I'm West just, Coast nod. I'm just doing it. All right. You heard it Thank here first. All answers only. Yeah, none of these are happening. Clearly. See you guys soon. Thank Bye you everyone. so much. Oh, Jason say says, say you're soul free. Maybe. Good Maybe. Any. Yep. Bye, guys. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hi, this is Henry Kay host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born, 
to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.